0: In 2 Timothy, around 66 AD, the Apostle Paul is writing his final letter. Now, years earlier, Paul says, the Lord spoke to me and gave me the thumbs up to go ahead and come home right now. I could go to be with the Lord right now. But the Lord said, But Paul, if you want to stay, I'll let you stay longer. But you've suffered enough. You've done enough. You've written enough. You spoke enough. And Paul tells the Lord, Nope. I am ready to come home, no doubt about that. But if I can be on earth a few more days, months, years to bear fruit. To your church, to comfort, to encourage, to speak to God's people, then I'll continue on in my sufferings uh, longer. And indeed, he did. But we're going to find at the end of this book, he says, it's time now. My time is now, and I rejoice. I'm going to have the final pouring out of a drink offering. And uh, I'm going to go be with the Lord, and I'll be looking forward to all of you guys who are rejoicing, thinking about the Lord's return. And so we've been working our way through these first few verses. And in verse 6, we saw last week that Paul says, Timothy, I'm reminding you to stir up the gift. Seth, I've told you before that I'm reminding you, you don't have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And Timothy, what we've been called to doesn't look very glorious. So don't be ashamed of the testimony of God. Do you remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? Paul says, this very hour, I'm poorly clothed. (laughs) I'm hungry. We're in tremendous need not just men look at us wondering, angels look at us wondering, going, what is this thing with Paul? He goes through a walk in the city, he gets robbed. He's traveling through the countryside, he gets robbed. He gets beat up by the Jews and beat up by the Gentiles. Been shipwrecked three times. We read of a fourth one at the end of the book of Acts, stoned to death one time. And Paul says, you guys in Corinth are wanting to disassociate yourselves with me. I'm of Paul. Oh, no, no. I'm of Paulus. I'm of Cephas. I'm of anybody but Paul Christ. You know, And, and, and Paul says, even the angels look at us wondering, how can God's number one man look so Unglorious. What can go wrong in his life does go wrong in his life. And then, of course, he ends up being imprisoned. And Paul says, I'm doing all of this that you become fruitful. I'm suffering all these things to fulfill my calling to make you royalty, he says to the Corinthians, "So now, you're kings. You're doing great financially and and emotionally, and you got a great church going. And you have all these guest speakers coming through, and 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 you just you don't want your wonderful Christianity tainted with oh, the guy who started our church is in prison now. That just doesn't preach very well to the new people coming in to the church at Corinth." We want to just look like everything's prosperous and wonderful. And he says, I'm not saying this to shame you, but I am saying this to spank you. And Timothy now in Ephesus is falling into the same trap. He's wanting to dis- disassociate himself with Paul, his father in the faith. And Paul says, Timothy, no way. I'm not letting you off the hook, but I want you to not only not be embarrassed, I want you to share with me in my sufferings and in chains. And we looked at that last week, all the verses where Paul says in Hebrews, he says, and you who are not in prison, be as if you were in prison side by side with those who are suffering for Christ's name's sake. And so now he's reminding him in verse nine. I remind you again here. He says, Who saved you? I want you to ask yourself that question. Who is it that called us? Who is that? Who is the one that that gave us this holy calling unto him? Not according to our works, not according to this, but according to his own own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when before time began. Before time ever started, before the earth was ever made, before the first molecule was ever there, I chose you. I saw you in time. I called you before the first second ever clicked on a clock. Peter does this over and over again as well. And and, in 2 Peter, talking about reminding in 2 Peter 1, verse 12 through 15, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must be put off my tent Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Interesting that this is known of the apostles, that they were saying the same things over and over again, that when John came to speak, he didn't have some great new message. It was the same things he preached decade after decade. And Peter is saying now, or here, I, I'm, I, my job has been through years and as long as I'm in this tent, I'll just keep on not preaching a new sermon to you, but preaching the same sermons to you over and over again until you get it deeper and deeper in your soul. And here he's telling Timothy, Timothy, I, I'm going to remind you to, to ask you the question, and I want you to ask yourself, who saved us? Who is it? You know, we think of that woman at the well. She was just going to get water out of a well, right? And Jesus had sent all his apostles away from him into the city to go get a carne asada burrito and to leave him alone. But Jesus was there because there is a woman who was probably invisible to most of the world around her in that very disgraced area of Samaria. But yet the Lord on his way to die on the cross with such great burdens that he was carrying, the father was saying, son... I need you to go talk to this woman at the well. She is precious to me. She is going to be somebody that I want in heaven with me. And don't look on the outward man that looks disgraced. She's been married five times before, and now she's living with the guy in sin. She's ignorant. She has no knowledge of what, the true doctrine is she's believing in some place up in some mountain, some well that Jacob had dug, and that's where they worship, and they have this false religion. Just, just you go and tell her that I want to give her water unto everlasting life. In Isaiah 50, there in verse 4 and 5, prophesying of Jesus when he'd be in human flesh It says, the Lord God, referring to his Father, has awakened me morning by morning. He's quickened my ear to hear as a learner, disciple, that I might have the word to speak to the weary in the day. And I think Jesus had these words of knowledge and words of wisdom and gifts of faith that were spoken by his Father to him. And then he would experience it throughout the day and see how the Father laid out before him, people that he was calling unto the Son. And so we we could say to that woman at the well, 10 years after she became a believer, struggling, feeling down on herself, regrets of so many wasted years, and and there to say to the woman at the well, hey, I need to remind you who saved you. Did you go out seeking Jesus? Were you out trying to find the one way unto God the Father? Were you repentive of your sins at the time? No, you, you didn't even have a spiritual hunger. But by the Father's command, Jesus sought you out. He got you by yourself. He blew your mind. <laughs> He put his own reputation on the on risk. A Jew, a man talking to a woman and somebody disgraced like her. And Jesus stayed right there until he convinced her. And then the apostles come back and she gets up. And who is she now? She's a believer. She goes and evangelizes the whole village. And all this village comes out to Jesus and says. At the end of that, we don't believe in him now because of what you said. You said, they say to the woman at the well, we believe him because now we've heard him ourselves." What purpose God had for her life, didn't he? Here's this woman, God saved her. And it was a holy calling. It was a powerful calling. It was not according to her works. It wasn't, but it was according to his own purpose and the grace of Jesus Christ was to fall upon her by the will of the Father and that she is experiencing in a moment in time. But when she comes to know the Lord through his word, she's going to realize that before I was 10 years old, God called me. Matter of fact, before I was five years old, God called me. A matter of fact, when I was still in my mother's womb, before that, God called me. A matter of fact, it wasn't a thousand years ago, it wasn't two thousand years ago. It was before God even began the work of creation. He said, There's going to be this woman at the well, and she's not going to be in tune. She's not going to be repentive. She's not going to have anything to add. She's just going to be somebody that when the gospel reaches her ears, she will believe. And what's her testimony? The same as all of us, once we really see behind the curtain and understand what value we have in Christ. What purposes? God has at work in our life. Well, she saved, she went and led a whole little village of Samaria to the Lord. Big deal. It was a big deal to God. I mean, you, you may not have any more of a calling of God than to lead one person to the Lord in all your lifetime. I, I don't know. But I know if you're alive today, God has a purpose, a plan, and we just need to stop in our tracks to realize God doesn't need us. God wants us. God is not stuck with you. God desired you before time began. And what an important thing in Timothy, as we read 1 Timothy and all of 2 Timothy, Timothy was a guy that could easily get disheartened. He wanted to quit pastoring soon after he started pastoring in Ephesus. It was a tough place. He had been such a great evangelist with the Apostle Paul, but he wasn't doing any evangelizing in Ephesus. He was trying to to just do the minimum without upsetting anyone. And, And Paul is saying, Timothy, who are you in Christ? Do you know who you are in Christ? Who saved us? Who called us with this holy calling? In John 6.37, just to drive this point home, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in by no means cast him out. In John 6:44, no one can come to me. Unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. He said, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless he has been granted by him to him by the Father. And it's not of our works. We just studied in Titus this great passage. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, not of works of righteousness which we had done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing, the regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You can read through the Old Testament and you'll have moments where it's so clear to you about the kindness of God, but it's not in every chapter. (laughs) There's a lot of laws, poetry, judgment, but yet there's enough nuggets where you realize that God's desire is to have mercy on man and not judgment, that that one day... The law will be fulfilled, and once the law is fulfilled, then we can be declared righteous. But how that would happen, it was a mystery. And so people waited in hope for the mercies of God somehow. They tried to live the best they could according to the law, but they failed miserably, continually. But then through Jesus Christ, it appeared salvation. Jesus came on the scene and the nature of God that had not been revealed yet to man the fullness of the Father full of grace and truth it came as a light just shining upon the world and although Jesus was just a poor carpenter from Nazareth never wrote a book never tra- never traveled farther than 90 miles from the place he was born, was not a king, was not a college graduate, didn't have a great singing voice, wasn't a beautiful person. The Bible in Isaiah 52 tells us that his visage was not attractive. But yet the entire world is still affected every day by that place, (laughs) by that light, by that person, Jesus Christ. Everyone in the world today, except for a couple little pockets, will write 2018. Why? I've been in communist countries I've been in Serbia which was Yugoslavia at the time and and Hungary and the iron curtain just had fallen and days after Calvary Chapel pastors and missionaries were starting churches and 6 months after that I was there and 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 you'd go on the streets and these guys are just their entire life if you believe in God in any way under Russian rule it was just such a negative but yet they had been well educated and I I would ask them it's like why is it 2018 right now and they would all say "Because 2018 years ago Jesus Christ was born and I'll I'll say you understand that the entire dating system of mankind before his birth and after his birth the world recognizes it every single day (laughs) I was Looking at all the countries making a statement about Jerusalem and about the United States moving the our embassy to to Jerusalem. And boy, everybody in the world has a strong opinion about Jerusalem. Did you know Jerusalem is so tiny? It is not a big city. As a matter of fact, the entire country is about the size of Southern California, the size of Rhode Island. It's tiny. And here is this dusty, dirty city. (laughs) Yet the whole world is angry that Israel has it and they're not sharing it with the Palestinians and you're just like going you know you don't hear people from all over the world talking about Denver now let me tell you about Denver let me tell you about Moscow some city in and some of, you know Brazil Brazil is a country bigger than the United States the only reason we're bigger is cuz Alaska but if it melts we're smaller <laughs> But the continental United States, Brazil is bigger. If you added a Texas to the United States, that, then it would be equal to Brazil. The natural resources they have. Do you ever hear in a 30 minute newscast about Sao Paulo? <laughs> Rarely. But try to make it through a 30 minute news time with not somebody from Jerusalem telling you about the Eastern world are talking about Jerusalem. Do do you understand these things? We are such a spiritual world. And we need to come to understand that, that God Almighty has brought his light to all the world from Israel, from a Jewish carpenter. And that Jewish carpenter was God in human flesh. He didn't do some great miracles that the whole world would have been enamored by it. He did miracles, but that wasn't his claim to fame. The reason the world is shaken by Jesus is because of the New Testament. It talks about a grace that no other religion could make up. It talks about truth, and it's not compromising the truth. All of this is coming through Jesus Christ. And we come to realize that he has saved us for his own purposes. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And in the very next verse, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, his poema, a work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's amazing to me. (laughs) We know that all people have a different DNA. And we've learned now that just one little scratch of skin has all the information to to make you (laughs) reveal your hair color, your size, your face, every fingerprint, not just one or two, but all of us. We're all unique. You know, you you try to get some artist to make 10,000 pieces of art. Man, (laughs) after a few hundred, he's going to start making identical pieces. He's just going to not be able to keep thinking and creating something different. But God has a unique nose for every one of you, unique ears for every one of you, unique skin color, texture of your hair. God has made every one of us this unique work of art, but he made us that he might save us and in Christ make us these people for his purpose that we would live for good works, that he predestined ahead of time that we would walk in them. And so this has been given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Well, in verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to light, through the gospel. If you read the Old Testament only, and then try to describe heaven, you can't. It's, It's a very unclear doctrine in the Old Testament. It says, and so and so was gathered together with his people. There it is. Read through the Psalms. David is like but, but if I die, I won't be able to praise you anymore. Will I? <laughs> and then there's other times he's like, oh, when I awaken, I'll, I'll be in your likeness. He has a, an idea of it. Job has a sane moment where he says, oh, I know my Redeemer lives, and I'll stand with him on that day. What day? I don't know. Uh, and then he goes back into his despair and, and all of his crazy thoughts that God rebukes him for. A matter of fact, a large group of the Jews firmly believed the Bible taught there is no life after death. The Sadducees, remember they were mocking Jesus and his apostles and, and the Pharisees by saying, well, a guy, um, his wife, see, what was it? Yeah, a guy died, and, and his wife married his, her, his brother. And then that guy died, and his wife, the same woman, married the next brother. And this goes on for seven men. And so he says, so in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Boy, we, this is just a thought that God can't overcome. And God said, I call it heaven. There is no marriage. It's like, okay, yeah, that's true. Two, two opposite things, Right heaven and happiness and marriage. It will all be like the angels, the Lord says. There is no marriage. But that was a a thought they had. And and so it's really through the teachings of Jesus Christ that we understand heaven and the glory of heaven and the the great reward that heaven's going to be. And he says in verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher to the Gentiles. So Timothy I know who I am. God has saved me and called me for his own purpose. And I've seen it evolve. I see it in different aspects. I started out and I was a preacher of the gospel. And I was an apostle going to places that had never heard the truth of Jesus. And I was constantly a teacher to all the Gentile world. And in essence, he's asking Timothy now, who are you? (laughs) You're a guy who's pastoring in Ephesus and just wants to quit. That's your calling. The guy who wants to get out of the ministry altogether. Who are you, Timothy? Your calling wasn't according to your works. It was according to God's own purpose. Boy, we see guys throughout the Bible really making big mistakes when they don't get this right. Remember, God came to Moses. (laughs) Moses uh, wasn't wanting to hear who he was in God, if you would. This is why you were in that little tiny basket in the Nile and your sister watched over you, Moses. I'm honoring the faith of your parents as they put you there to save you. And this is why you ended up into the house of Pharaoh. And yes, you've been humbled. You're a prideful, rich kid. <laughs> and at 40 years old in your own strength, you're gonna make a statement and, and it just flopped and you've been living 40 years in the back of the desert tending your father-in-law's sheep and you've sort of given up on any real ministry. And he goes, no, no, this is what I've called you for. And boy, Moses just argued away with God, didn't he? Well, I I have limitations in my speech. Send my brother Aaron. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I hate that place. I'm 80 years old. Leave me alone. Jonah, (laughs) who saved you, who called you? It wasn't by your own purpose. It's God's purposes, Jonah. Jonah didn't want God's purpose, did he? because it meant salvation to people he didn't like. <laughs> Man, we can go through where people started muddying this whole thing to say, who am I in Christ? Well, we, we know we're a light to the world, right? We're a salt to the earth. So Jesus says, don't, don't put the, the light under a bed. Don't cover it up in a bushel. Be who you are in Christ. Don't let the world quench that fire. You go into the grocery store, be a light. (laughs) Pumping gas, be a light. To your neighbors, sprinkle a little salt. We are the ones that are bringing flavor and thirst. and, And just like Jesus with that woman at the well, his light came And she couldn't see it until Jesus began to speak to her the truth. And then she believed and ran into the city to tell everybody the great news that this man out there knows everything about her and and still wants to give her eternal life. It's a powerful thing to realize that God has called us for his purpose before time began. We are a work of Christ, a poema. And what is the point here? That we can tell people there is a heaven to come. You're not saved for earth. And and this is, again, where I think in the last really close to 100 years now, there has been an American gospel that says you'll know you're right with God because you'll be richer than your neighbors. You'll be healthier than non-Christians. You'll have better marriages. Your complexion will shine a little better. You'll get warm and loving feelings more than people who aren't saved. You'll be happy, happier. Does God anywhere in the Bible say, follow him and you'll be happier? The opposite. In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I'm happier because I get more suffering than the rest of the world for following Christ. We have the testimony of the truth. Of Jesus Christ has brought eternal life. And I am called to this and you are called to this. And we, we know now that we are all called to be preachers and teachers, right? We all One's a hand, one's a foot, one's an eye, one's an ear. Not one part of the body is more important than the other part of the body. We are all absolutely necessary to function as a church congregation, to to be that to the community. And so we need to know and ask ourselves that very question. Peter, in his last letter, this is Paul's last letter, and Peter, in his last letter, he does the same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, the King James says, peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness to his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who has not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter says, guys, Christians, quit moping around, you bunch of Jewish Christians. You're not just a part of the New Testament priesthood. You're a part of the New Testament royalty. Just like Jesus is our king and our priest, we, like Christ, are kings and priests, Unto our God. Now, from man looking at you, he may see your life looks similar to his. His family got the flu, and your family got the flu. He's struggling to make his car payment, and you're struggling to make it your car payment. Heat wave comes, and his flowers die, and your flowers die. From his point of view, he doesn't necessarily see it. Until you walk in it. You see. We need to go out and say. Just like Peter says. We are God's chosen generation. We're here for a second. And then we're going to be eternally with the Lord. Our life here is just a momentary vapor. And then we're going to be with the Lord. And so. We are that royal priesthood. We are the holy nation. We're his own special people that God is through us infusing an ambassador of this marvelous light. And our testimony is that I am now in the light and receiving mercies from God. So then Paul is able now to say to Timothy. This should be your reasoning, Timothy. This is just like my reasoning. Verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I believed and am persuaded. He's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. I embrace the sufferings. And it doesn't in any way discourage me following the Lord. And Timothy, I'm not ashamed to be a prisoner. Paul never says, I'm a prisoner of Rome. Paul always says, I'm a prisoner of what? Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm I'm not in here because the Romans are keeping me here. (laughs) If tomorrow God decides I'm not going to be in prison, I'm not going to be in prison, right? Remember Peter angel kicked him and got him out of the cell and he walked right out of the prison. Paul, at an earlier time, was in the Roman prison and the whole place shook as him and Barnabas, or him and Silas were praising the Lord. And all the gates were open. All the jails were open. Yeah, I, I'm not stuck in prison because man is, is got one over on God. I don't have these sores in this sickness and these difficulties because God's failing me. No. When, in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect, and I'm not ashamed. And, I, and Paul says, all my treasure is in heaven. I'm, I, I know he's keeping all of my treasure for eternity. I think Paul, a man who was a wealthy man as a Roman, was an elite Jew educationally and being raised up as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he went from the top to the bottom. A man who didn't even want to talk to Gentiles to have a ministry to the Gentiles. A man who knew freedom and wealth as a Roman citizen who lived as a pauper and a poor man and and made tents for him and the guys to to get by, to get to the next town. And there, this elite Jew ends up dying, just like any other ordinary prisoner, beheaded by Nero. And Paul says, none of these things move me. Because I've always said, life is a vapor. I'm here for a short time. I just want to live and burn out for Christ and all my treasures in heaven. I think we all know that, right? But yet to do it is a hard thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's incredible. You know, when you, you just start looking at how God tells you the minimal Christian life will produce incredible fruit, right? Right? If you will meditate in God's word day and night. He's made it so you can pray without ceasing. He's not asking us to carry a rug around five times a day to roll the rug out and face east. He's not telling us to wear, you know, beads and to stop three times a day and to count our Hare Krishna Beach, Hare Hare Krishna, Krishna Rama Rama 1, Hari Hare Krishna, I got to do this 90 times, several times a day, to shave our heads, to crawl on our knees for miles to get to some holy place. It doesn't tell us to try to save up all your money and fly to Mecca and join hundreds of thousands of people to Draw near to a holy place, he says, everywhere you're at, freedom. There's no special place. Wherever you want to gather, gather in Jesus' name, we're having church. Just two or three, that's good enough. Pray without ceasing, anywhere you're at. Just can't read the Bible, that's okay. Just meditate. God, just what are you speaking to me? What was the sermon about? Oh, yeah, Lord, just, oh, Lord, speak to me. Our finances, I don't think anybody here would question if God said, give me 40%, right? He's God. Isn't he worth 40%? If he said 30%, we'd go, wow, this is a pretty good deal. 70-30. We wouldn't question it, would we? But yet somehow when it gets down to 10%, people are going, oh man, can we do nine and a half this year? It's, it's always interesting to me. God just gives us the minimum and says, I will bless that and make you fruitful. I'll store up treasure for you. And and we just come to that line. If I'm given 10%, it's going to be barely 10%. You know, if if I'm going to give myself to, to God in some way, it's going to be some minimal thing. And, and Paul's trying to shape Timothy out of this. And to say, look, I'm not ashamed. You shouldn't be ashamed. I suffer. So what? We all are going to suffer. Those who live God in this life will suffer persecution. Paul says in 1 Timothy. It's, or he's going to go on to say in 2 Timothy here. The fact is, is that it's okay. In this world, we'll have tribulations. I, I, I'm going to say this to you, Jesus says, so you're not stumbled. Men are going to hate you because you like me. People are going to call you Satan because you follow my words. There's going to be a time towards the end where men are going to kill you for Jesus' sake because they have a different Christ, which Paul did not preach. They have a different gospel that tickled their ears, but it's not the truth of the gospel. We need to all catch up, get up to date here. To follow Christ is going to cost us more and more. And more. And the idea that Christianity is somehow supposed to bless us on this earth, it's just wrong. You look at most of the world today, the moment somebody becomes a born again Christian, their life is harder. You go to the Jews, and that Jewish boy comes to Christ. What's going to happen to that Jewish boy? (laughs) What's going to happen to that 25-year-old Jewish man that you led to Christ in Israel today? He's going to be cut off from his family. He's going to probably get kicked out of his house, lose his job, be made fun of by all his atheist friends. One billion of our planet today are Muslim territory. Do you think if a Muslim gets saved, he's going, "Woohoo! I'm happy in Jesus. I'm so happy ever since I got saved. All my cares are been taken away." Is that is that what's going to happen? <laughs> what about in France or in Sweden? You go to these humanistic places in Norway. If you you start spouting that you even believe in God they're going to pound you they're going to make fun of you in the hot bed where christianity really was held for several hundred years before it exploded into the world with missionaries was england england it was like the entire country was a, 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 a bed of discipleship <coughs> Everybody went to church. All the colleges in some way would teach you about God. The greatest revivals that have ever come to planet Earth have come out of England. But yet that place today, what? Less than 1% of that country goes to church on Sunday. America? What was the percent of people that went to church when you were 20 years old, 10 years old? I mean, come on. I grew up in Central California in Visalia in the 60s. I don't think there were too many people at home on Sunday morning. I I don't know of anybody that didn't go to church. But yet today, it keeps falling. I remember a few years ago when it hit 10% of our country, actually goes to church on Sunday. And I just watched it drop every few years. And now it's plummeting. The kids that have been graduating from high school in these last 10 years, 80% of kids that will grow up in the church will not continue in the church. That's been happening for a decade. Do you see what I'm saying? And in essence, the message that Paul has given to Timothy to say, rise up. I know who I am in Christ. I I'm right now a prisoner of Christ. The gospel's not hindered. My ministry isn't being stifled. The, the the prisoners around me, he says in 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 the book of Romans, by the way, number four says hi. Number eleven says, praise the Lord. Hey, he's all these slaves in Caesar's house, they all had numbers. Quartus and Segundus and And all of these top slaves of the emperor that would eventually behead Paul were all born-again Christian in Nero's house. Paul wasn't stifled. And, of course, we know that he wrote most of the New Testament from that place of prison. It's a mentality. God told Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through 16, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is, a, he's talking to Ananias, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name to the Gentiles, to kings, the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul's going to be an example how earthly it looks like. How could God be with that guy? But yet he was the number one guy who had the message for not just the Christianity of his day, but for all the ages until the Lord returns in Matthew 6 Jesus says in verse 19 to 21 do not lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy thieves break in and still but lay up your for your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and still for where your treasure is there your heart will be also in Hebrews 11 verse 24 to 27 by faith Moses when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God, rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, suffering for Christ as greater riches than all of Egypt. For he looked to the reward, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He endured a seeing him who is invisible. And so we come to this place here. And, and we just simply stop a minute and ask ourselves, who am I in Christ? Am I called to be an ambassador of Christ? Am I called to be a disciple of Christ? Am I called to be a light? Am I called to evangelize? Am I called to go into the world and make disciples? Who are you? Did Christ save you? Then he had a purpose and a plan before time began that you would now walk in it. And Lord, we come before you right now as we are meditating on these things. And we realize that It's not just Timothy that has this minimum mindset of living for you, but we do also. That there in Ephesus, that large church, there was a pocket of of easygoing Christianity as it is in America today. We know most of the world to choose to follow you is difficult. Hardships, suffering, maybe the loss of a marriage or parents or children, your community, all your holidays. (laughs) Everything now is, is completely gone and isolated because they've chosen Christ in China, in India, throughout all the Muslim world. The liberal Europe now, Canada, so difficult to, to stand and to proclaim Christ without serious, serious backlash. Lord, we ask right now that you would just remind us of these things. Nothing new here tonight, but yet by the power of your spirit reminding us that there are greater things in Christ that we're to be living out there's greater works that you have, that there's an intensity of joy, of greatness, of of fruitfulness. If we will seek you with all our hearts, then you will be found by us. And we know, Lord, that we desire more, more fruitfulness, more love, more power, greater work of your gospel right now through us. Here we are, Lord. Send us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week in Jesus. And before you head out, share with somebody one thing the Lord spoke to you tonight. God bless.